Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Welcome to Podcast, Season 3, Episode 15. We'll be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying, as we probably will. Anyway, my name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. It's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. We were just discussing the COVID numbers before before the show, and apparently Canada's on its way to... We're, I think, are we in the we're into the red zone yet or we're going to go there soon yeah it's, double lockdown this area in particular the greater toronto area is is uh, experiencing an, an enormous boom the last couple of weeks which is very troubling yeah yeah well i think everybody's booming but you know we're yeah this is unusual for us we were we were down to 50 a day or something like that right or just around that yeah and, and the estimates say that within within a short order it could be 6500 two, two weeks within two weeks from now this is a very bad sign mm-hmm. and could be headed for another lockdown if we're not careful. Yeah, plus we're also looking forward to flu season. Right? Excellent. So, well, on that exciting down. note, can we do a podcast? Yeah, let's do a podcast. <laughs> Alrighty, so we have some fact check from last week. Jonathan, you get to go first because I couldn't remember Anson Mount's name. Well, there you go. Yeah, just a quick one. Anson Mount, we were talking about, uh, of course, Christopher Pike on Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Cullen Bohannon on Hell on Wheels. We were talking about mm-hmm. which character he was. There you go. Yes, he was the main character. Um, and okay, I'm like I'm totally mess up this pronunciation. I'm gonna go with Four Bride Denelsen. Uh, 2007 was a, t- a Danish original TV show which begat The Killing, which I talked about before. And, and I I knew there was a crossover with the lead character, the the uh, the inspector, or whatever director Sarah Lund, who's the main character. It was played by Sophie Gabriel on uh, the Danish version, but she played DA Christina Nielsen in the U.S. version. So she was actually in the show but not the main role in the in the in the um what was it canadian in the american version um but like star trek it was canceled after two seasons and but thankfully picked up again by netflix for season three so star trek was three seasons i know but no they got canceled after the second season and then there was a letter huge letter writing campaign yeah look it up look it up man i I just happened to be reading up on uh, star trek episodes because i i was going down a rabbit hole the other day so yeah 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 but it was it it was technically if you look at the numbers you mentioned 26 shows per season there weren't 26 shows in the third season were there well i happen to have it right here let's see uh third season there was 24 there's 26 mm-hmm. 29 the first season 26 the second season 24 the third season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm pretty sure they pulled the plug at the third season too anywho uh joel kinnaman who we 
you mentioned about working on the um, the Amer- sorry the American version of the U.S. version of the killing uh, was not Danish, as I said. He's actually Swedish. So there you go. And uh, last follow up item here. I mentioned Sean uh, Sean Connery, and I wondered if he played King Arthur. And in fact, he did play King Arthur in First Night, where what's that guy? Richard Gere, I think, plays uh, Lancelot and you know, woos the uh, Lady Guinevere. Yeah, uh, and must have missed that one. Mm. Oh, was Thor's mom Guinevere? Thor's mom? I don't know the actress's name. <laughs> Rene uh, Russo? Rene Russo. She might have been. No, I think it was... I don't know. He, he played Robin Hood with Audrey Hepburn, which was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, it could have been her. Yeah, she was definitely much younger than him. Sort of, you know. Oh, no. Julia uh, Ormond as uh, Guinevere. Was, is that who it says? I, mean, uh, I looked at First Night, Sean Connery. And you're right, mm. Richard Gere's Lancelot. Julia Ormond right. as Guinevere. Yeah, quite a bit. She was a few, like... But I mean, that was not unusual for, for men to be much older than their wives, right? So, especially when you were kings, they could do what they wanted, right? Anyway. Um, yeah, so first headline here is, for me, yay! Uh, Lashana Lynch has been confirmed as the new 007 in No Time to Die. Mm. So, yeah, we were kind of wondering about that. because um, It was rumored that it was going to be, um, uh, what's his name, Bane? But, um, yeah. No, so what it actually that is, it actually is an African-American. Well, I don't know if it's American. Yeah, I was going to say, I think she's uh, British. African British. Breton. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's, uh, and it's a woman. So there you go. Like, that was a sort of an interesting twist of fate. But yeah, I but I think, I don't know that she's necessarily carrying on from there as the bond lead going forward right she's not bond mm. she's 007 right mm. but i think the idea is that uh we're supposed to think that james bond is no longer 007 he's out of the game so there's a new 007 they've assigned the number to mm-hmm. but i don't think it necessarily means that she is going to be the the lead of the franchise although i am 100 percent behind that i think yeah yeah, yeah. No, i don't think that's the case and i don't think it's not the first time we've had a female double o agent right uh, that's a good question. I don't recall there being one. There have been other other agents from other spy agencies, but I don't remember there being another one. Mm-hmm. What's, yeah, the, what's the new movie going to be called? The new movies? Is it No Di- No Time to Die? The new one yep. coming out? Mm-hmm. That's right. You you're you know forgiven for not knowing because it's been forever and a day since yeah. it was supposed to come out. It's like wait, it's not out yet. Nope, still not. Wait, so it's already in the can. So, but why does it say Lashana Lynch is taking over for Daniel Craig as the new 007? I mean, he's like getting his number taken away from him yeah I, th- I think in the film he is supposed to have stepped away from being oh, an mi6 agent and right. they reassigned the double o number to her, oh, to her. Okay. so she is the active agent as 007 right but she's not james bond she's just 007 and the idea would be i guess somewhere in there either he will uh well if it's the last one for craig maybe they'll do something wacky but the idea i guess would be that he maybe comes back and gets his gets his mojo maybe back he steps down from being admiral and takes the enterprise up for one more run is uh, that the idea may well be the plot yeah yeah hmm. so how did we not know this if this movie has been sitting around waiting to be seen by people that there was another 007 i seem uh, to think we i think this. in the trailer they show her sort of in action i don't i think we knew that she was going to be a spy and that she was going to be working with him but i don't think they ever said who, sort of who she was or what she was so now i think it's the confirmation that she is genuinely uh taken over the 007 mantle right okay well the, the johnny depp saga continues what have we got now yeah, so I remember we had this discussion when uh, the second Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film came out, The Crimes of Grindelwald, because at that point, Johnny Depp was embroiled in a an allegation of spousal abuse, and um, it had sort of been all over the, the internet. And there was a, a 
small but loud chorus of people saying, well, you know, you haven't made this movie yet. You should recast Johnny Depp because he shouldn't be in this role if he's, uh, you know, the person that he's being alleged to be accused of. So he was in court in England recently uh, in a case where he was arguing that he was defamed by a publication and they uh he lost essentially a couple of weeks ago he was uh the, i'm just gonna find the exact phrase because it was pretty damning oh yes it was an article in the the british sun in 2018 and they called him quote a wife beater mm-hmm. and he sued them uh for libel and he lost and as part of it the uh part of the um resolution a couple of weeks ago uh the judge said i accept that mr depp put his wife in fear for her life and he said that the paper had shown that the claims it published were quote substantially true so after going to court and doing this and losing uh johnny depp has been removed from the fantastic beasts franchise so he will no longer be grindelwald uh he says i wish to let you know i have been asked to resign by warner brothers for my role as grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, and I've respected and agreed to that request. He wrote this on Instagram last week. Now, it's a bit of a nice way to phrase that. I guess the way of phrasing that is you're fired uh, because you are, uh, you have in a court of law been found to have uh, done the things that you were alleged to have done. Uh, so it's a pretty big development. Uh, so there's there's two things. One, uh, I guess they have to go back to the drawing board on this franchise and find a new Grindelwald, um, not to mention the fact that maybe they could find some better writing because that last one was not great <laughs> and second what do we do with johnny depp now is he is he done is he mm. getting is he getting the kevin spacey treatment here like this is one of the most lauded actors of the last 25 yeah, years true, yeah is this guy toast Good question. I have seen that people were petitioning to get Amber Heard removed from the uh, Justice League uh, reshoots, Mm. Um, which, you know, uh, I I think the answer here is to get uh, Christopher Plummer (laughs) as a replacement (laughs) for Amber Heard. I would give everything to see uh, Christopher Plummer making out with uh, uh, Drago from Game of Thrones as Aquaman. That'd be a hell of a scene. So, wait, um, is Amber Heard related to Johnny Depp? Is that the wife or something? She or? is his now ex-wife. She was oh, the woman okay. who he was accused of um, abusing in this right. uh, court case. They have since divorced. Right, right. Uh, she huh. played the uh, Mara, the love interest in the Aquaman uh, live action okay. film that was done right. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. On Netflix this week, I haven't watched it yet, though. It's not bad. I've, I watched it. it. It blows up pretty good. If if, you know, I wouldn't call it high art, but it's enjoyable. Yeah, I watched. I watched somebody else watching it on an airplane once. Of course, with no sound, mm-hmm. um, and it, it just it seemed to be like you know, with no sound, it seemed, seemed a bit ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of over the top and um, it's just right on the edge of being campy, right. but uh, but it holds up. It's not bad. Like I say, grab a pop, bag of popcorn, it's fine. Mm. Um, yes, the Amber Heard one is an interesting one too because in this case, um, which I did follow along with uh, out of curiosity curiosity there were some allegations against uh he was trying to johnny depp was trying to defend himself and started listing off all the things that she had done in their relationship that were um 
unconventional and there were some rather uh, some concerning allegations about her behavior in there too that she uh, he accused her of domestic abuse as well and uh, apparently there was um, some feces involved in some of this stuff that happened and yeah so all of it is very unsavory but yeah where where it leaves us is with a major warner brothers movie property without its star and uh some questions going forward about what this means for the legacy of johnny depp right yeah for sure Hmm. interesting interesting well it seemed to be a a sort of interesting guy but i guess you know who knows Mm. all right let's move on to some cheery news about netflix (laughs) yeah in in the uh, in the grand tradition of silicon valley reinventing things that already exist if uh if you're one of those people who's like i i just don't know what to watch on netflix or just too many things i really wish somebody not only recommended things but you know what just just go ahead and surprise me with whatever you think should be on apparently netflix is testing a quote linear channel in france that is basically pre-program stuff you turn on the channel and it just has stuff and you have now <laughs> recreated broadcast television <laughs> Good job. You reinvented it. <laughs> oh, you mean you can just surf around and just flip channels? and Just like, I mean, as they describe it here, it sounds like you go to a channel and it's whatever happens to be on. Oh, did I come into, you know, the last 30 minutes of this TV show? All right. I guess I'll just watch the rest of this TV show hmm. instead of starting, wow. you know, from the beginning as it'd like. It's like real-time TV. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. It, it, it's kind of like, um, I want to say it was like Lyft and Uber, you know, they started doing, okay, beyond just the... The, um, you know, hailing a ride like a taxi. It was like, okay, well, you can spend a little bit less money and the driver can pick up a couple of people along the way. All right, there. And then it was like, hey, what if we just had like scheduled times and places where drivers were guaranteed to be and routes they were guaranteed to take? It's like, you've reinvented the bus. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they could come up with a piece of hardware too for your television that, you know, is like a circular control that, you know, in order to, to change the show you're watching, you have to get up, go over to the television and turn this control you know and there could be 13 different settings on it no not gonna go there right. <laughs> you use the pliers to to, yeah. to turn the channel because the little uh turning knob thing turned, fell off yeah. it broke off yeah well you can print a new one in your 3d printer that's that doesn't work anymore in fact you can print pliers in your 3d printer too anyway all right <laughs> that sounds like fun what's uh what's uh what's what else is going on on what's going on on apple tv plus there i mean yeah so this uh Arit analytics research group claims that um defending jacob and greyhound the uh the movie uh, it's a little confusing if you're reading the article that we have in the show notes for those of you transporting at home. I just go with the title here that Defending Jacob was apparently the best um, you know, TV series, limited series one that they had in terms of uh, demand. And then when it came to movies, it seems like Greyhound, the uh, the vehicle for Tom Hanks, was the top one. And that those sort of make sense because I, I did very much enjoy Defending Jacob. I very much did enjoy Greyhound. And I was sort of interested to see how these other shows do where um, average series demand was like, uh, if a scale is 1.0, 29 Point five times for Defending Jacob at the top. Uh, Truth Be Told, not that far behind. And Servant and Sea, not that mm-hmm. far behind those. Then there's a little bit more drops as you get all the way down to uh, Ted Lasso and Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet, which are 
some of my favorites. Hmm. So I think there's a little bit of something for everybody. Um, actually, you know what, Tim? We should have told Mark now that he has a new device, he should go ahead and turn on his Apple TV Plus because now he's got it for free and he can start watching all these shows. Oh, his, his, his new phone. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that might be the thing. Like, I think it was a good idea to have that stuff be free for the first year, knowing that they were going to start building up their your back catalog and now it's mm-hmm. pretty substantial i mean could you binge through it all in a month yeah you probably could um <laughs> should you no you should try to enjoy these like a normal yeah. rational human being and you probably <laughs> could go a few months and, and hopefully get yourself over to the uh post-covid sort of productions and start seeing new series coming out and and, and uh sequels to these series right so how come where's where's um the tom hanks thing is not on this list it must be on like on a chart somewhere in one of these sub links the the thing that they showed is a little weird Oh, okay, right, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched um, probably. There's probably three or four shows on this that I have. Four shows, I guess, that I haven't watched at all. So, a couple I started and just never finished. Hmm. Have they reached the tipping point for either of you on? I would spend money on this. <sighs> I enjoy the Apple TV experience altogether. I mean, like, uh, like I like the fact that they, I mean, except for the fact that I can't log into Netflix for some strange reason, but, um, you know, my Bell 5, the Disney Plus, the Apple TV, they all, and Amazon Prime, they all seem to work seamlessly within the Apple TV experience, right? So it's kind of like Jaime was saying earlier, just walk up to the device, turn it on, and then, and then see, oh, look, what's on? Let's watch this. And not so much like broadcast television, but I, I enjoy that part of it um, as a device, I guess. That's probably be the device itself because i guess you could do that without having apple tv as a service um some of these shows i mean like would i go out of my way for these shows servant was good um c was it was okay it was okay it's predictable for all mankind was interesting but i you know as a as a real space fan i I take a lot of exception with a lot of the things in it morning show was entertaining you know um mythic quest was entertaining generally speaking ted lasso was good so yeah i mean you know it's it's okay i mean it's comparable to prime or yeah but not quite up to where netflix is yet you know so yeah because netflix always has I, you can always turn on netflix there's always something i can watch on netflix yeah right whereas prime it's yeah maybe there might be something interesting i mean there's some things that are only on prime that you have to go there for like marvelous miss Maisel and things like that right and some movies come to prime only but um i yeah, honestly I, feel like prime there's prime's not the content's not the problem it's the interface oh it's horrible prime content wise is actually not bad it's well, the, what I mean. the interface so, so what's, is impenetrable but what's nice about it though is on the apple tv plus you know if you have your prime on the same device it just actually i think i have the prime app in my in my apple tv that's what the, the difference is and i'm and i've logged into it so if i start watching something on prime uh like i my tv has a prime app on it as well right which mm-hmm. is where i normally go but but if i'm in the apple tv and i and i fire it up it re- reminds me that oh this thing's on disney plus or this thing's on prime or this thing's on netflix and you know and i just tap on it and, and it just automatically launches the app and starts playing it right so that's that's sort of a nice seamless experience right mm. um you know whereas you know like like an animal i have to flip through the different apps on the tv to go to those specific places right so so that kind of so it's partly apple's magic you know sort of seamless you know integration that works well it makes it makes prime way better i mean because you because you're using the apple interface to to navigate through prime content right so mm. yeah but you're right the, the actual the actual app itself is horrible yeah but i, I always found that about prime prime 
I'm sort of like you know when you used to go to the the, the movie store, the v, you know, and you and you, you see the bin full of VHSs or, or DVDs that nobody wants, and you'd flip through them, and you you might find one little nugget in there, you know, yeah. nine times out, of, yeah. So that's kind of what how I feel Prime is. You know, Prime's like that remainder's bin, you know. <laughs> you yeah, know? there's all kinds of content there that I've, I've gotten into. It's just yeah, it's it's just like I say, wading through the mire. Yeah, but in terms of back catalogs, you can't compare you can't compare with like a Disney Plus where you know there's like 50 years worth of decent stuff in there right it's true although i find my issue with disney plus is that there is no hulu here as an equivalent where you can get content that's a little more uh mature up to date yeah a little more oh, mature yeah, yeah. not even up to yeah. date it's just a little more mature like i love yeah. the disney plus content my my sons and i watch uh simpsons episodes almost every night yeah. we watch uh you know i've watched all kinds of movies on there of course the mandalorian um and i'm looking forward to lots of the content they have in the pipeline but it also tends to skew younger which you know i don't have young children anymore and i certainly enjoy some of the content myself without having to have little kids but i I think some of the content that's now sort of skewed towards disney-led hulu might be better uh for one of my age and television watching that's why we have the netflix yep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the prime and the crave and the crave yes but i don't i don't get to crave too often um jonathan disney plus disney plus this is an interesting one so we got a little bit of information this week on a disney plus star wars series that hasn't gotten a lot of fanfare so we know that they're working on you know obviously mandalorians out there there's going to be doing the cassian andor series from rogue one prequel they're going to be doing an ewan mcgregor led obi-wan kenobi series uh but we haven't really got information much information on this one that's being led by um Leslie Headland. So she's working on this untitled Star Wars Universe series and has finally sort of spilled a little bit of information out there. She went on a podcast this week and she mentioned that uh, her series is going to cover parts of the Star Wars Universe and timeline that have remained unexplored for the most part until now. This is a quote. "In It's uh, it's in a pocket of the universe and a pocket of the timeline that we don't much know much about, she said. Um, she is going to be doing this series it's supposed to be having a female protagonist uh, uh, as the main character, obviously. And she said that, um, yeah, she's a huge fan and she really wants to sort of stretch out and, and do different things in here. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird little teaser for this sort of unknown series. I wonder if we're going to, like she hasn't explicitly said, but there's been rumors that they're going to tap into some of the expanded Star Wars universe in the Mandalorian and maybe start spreading that out too. There's rumors that, mm-hmm. um, well, it's not a rumor. There's It's known that Rosario Dawson is going to be playing Ahsoka Tano. So that's a possibility, although that kind of goes against what she's saying. There's also a rumor that they're going to take a character from the comic books, the new Marvel comic books that's become very popular, uh, a character named Dr. Afra, And there is a rumor that she's going to appear this season on the Mandalorian and she would fit very well into that mold of unexplained, unexplored areas of the of the Star Wars universe. I wonder if this is her teasing a Doctor Afra series. So Doctor Afra is this um, 
sort of gray area character who first appeared in the Darth Vader comic when Marvel took back the um, the licensed properties from Dark Horse Comics. And she kind of, she gets drafted basically by Vader to do carry out a couple of missions for uh, him. She's not really keen on doing it, but the option is basically die. So she sort of does it. But then later on, she also ends up helping the Rebellion in a couple ways too. So she's a very interesting character. So I read this whole story with her and that's immediately where my mind went. But I think it could be really interesting, like the the idea of having a character like that that sort of straddles the the good and the dark and is sort of a little more in the gray areas is is an interesting one. What uh, what do you guys think of all this? Uh, hard to say. I mean, like you look, you know a bit more about the, the comic book um, plot lines and stuff like that. But um, I think it's interesting. I, I kind of wonder like how far out they could go and still have the connection to Star Wars. I mean, I mean, do they? Does that mean they have to have some sort of force energy thing? And because the force doesn't come up much in Mandalorian yet, right? Well, I mean, the the baby Yoda ish character has yeah, shown he seems to have a natural propensity some, for it. Yeah, exactly. some propensity yeah. for the force. Yeah. Yes, he, we're going to talk about him in a few minutes anyway. But um, sorry, Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'm I'm curious about the next story too because because this is piquing my interest because I, I do you know this is the the spoilers. It's the George Lucas re- revealing episode seven, eight, and nine. I thought we were I thought seven, eight, and nine was was not the Daisy Ridley stuff. Well, let's go there then. I mean, because because he did he you know here's here's where uh, my you know I remember you know I was an adult when this kind of all sort of came down or it was near adult when it came down you know he had this star wars movie and it was like oh it was successful and back in the 70s you know the thing you did was if you had a successful movie is you immediately came out with a sequel right um and then of course george lucas complained explain you know claimed that he had you know plans for you know three movies and then he came out and said i planned for you know seven eight nine like that those episodes would come out too and then then of course then you know the horror we went through of the prequels but so i'm kind of curious is what what is he saying this is the stuff he was thinking about back in the 70s and 80s or no it doesn't sound like that so i i i guess the way that he had done it is he he basically he wrote star wars and in writing star wars he started writing backstory so that he had it in his mind yeah and then star wars was a hit so they said we want sequels fine so he went forward but as he was going forward he was also writing the backstory and that's what became the root of the prequels and also just the plot exposition from empire strikes back and return of the Jedi, the you know Obi Wan versus uh, Darth Vader, the, they were they were Master and Apprentice, the whole nine yards. So seven, eight, and nine was something that he didn't really think about until the nineties, when he was sort of started working on the prequels. He was sort of like, okay, I want to do this. In so the story, well, just, I'll, I'll clarify the story. There is a new coffee table book out called the Star Wars Archives ninety nine to two thousand and five, wherein uh, the writer Paul Duncan is interviewing George Lucas. George Lucas spells out in this uh, a rough outline for what he might have done for episodes seven, eight, and nine in in place of selling it to Disney and letting them do what they wanted to do. He basically says, there's this spot after the prequels are done where I thought, hey, maybe I'll do seven, eight, and nine. I have ideas. I want to do it. But as he started thinking about it, he thought, this is going to take another decade of my life. It took him a decade to do the first 
first trilogy. It took him nearly a decade to do the second trilogy. And he was basically to the point in his life where he thought, do I really want to do another 10 years of making Star Wars films, even as much as I love this? And he decided, no, what I really love is a $4.5 million check from Disney. A billion dollar check, I should say. $4.5 billion check from, from Disney. So um, he decided instead of doing his own trilogy, he would sell all of Lucasfilm to Disney and uh, take his very big check and walk away. He did stay on and and give them basically everything that he had in mind. They apparently picked some elements out and then disposed of the rest. So this is the first time where he sort of talked about what he had in mind. And some of it is very different, but some of it is the same. So I'll read you some of the stuff that he said. This is a quote. I had planned for the first trilogy to be about the father, the second trilogy to be about the son, and the third trilogy to be about the daughter and the grandchildren. Episodes right. 7, 8, and 9 would take ideas from what happened after the Iraq war. Okay, you thought you fought the war, you killed everybody, now what are you going to do? Rebuilding afterwards is harder than starting a rebellion or fighting a war. When you win the war and you disband the opposing army, what do they do? The stormtroopers would be like Saddam Hussein's Ba'athist fighters that joined ISIS and kept on fighting. The stormtroopers refused to give up when the Republic wins. Uh, he says the Imperial remnant would have been the main threat of the new trilogy their fight would uh would have created a power vacuum that allowed the simmering power base of star wars criminal underworld uh rising to confront the heroes and the remnants alike so it would have been a three-faced fight and the leader of that would have been darth maul the leader of the criminal element so as we saw him at the end of solo he would have been doing that he would have been leading the uh the the criminal syndicate and so that's gotten a lot more complicated his plot's gotten a lot more complicated because he uh sold the rights they have since written into canon in the uh rebels cartoon uh the fate of darth maul so we know what happens to him and he could could not have existed in this stretch um but yeah interesting so they they, again we'll have the link in the show notes you can all have a read he talks about some of the characters that he liked from the expanded universe universe that he thought he might pull in he talks about how you know what where everybody fits in he talks about um basically having um you know darth maul be this you know fallen sith who's now on the side of the crime you know gangsters and stuff like that um but interesting that you know he sort of this is the first time where he's sort of thrown it all out there and said like this is what i was thinking about doing this stuff um so maybe this coffee table book might be worth a worth a look too cool yeah it's um it's kind of interesting to see how that might have worked uh granted we we say this with the benefit of hindsight right that uh it couldn't have been worse little, yeah a little bit less than it's like well take another chance try it out you know this is the uh the kelvin timeline version of, <laughs> of how things went yeah yeah i mean it's hard to i mean i think there's a lot of dissatisfaction around the prequels i think now there's starting to be sort of a growing dissatisfaction around the sequel trilogy the the most recent trilogy um really i mean the rotten tomato score on the last star wars movie was not good the, the rotten tomato score on the second movie which i thought was actually the best of the bunch mm-hmm. was not good um yeah and, and again so much so that you know star wars is you know on a break they're taking some time they're focusing on the tv stuff they're not doing movies for the foreseeable future because they're mm-hmm. sort of hitting the reset button on what they need to do you can't you don't do that kind of stuff if it's a resounding success sure it made some money but yeah yeah it didn't make the, the billions that they expected i guess yeah i mean again you know 
it's hard because these movies, you know, what is the is the idea that they're exponential growth that, you know, OK, you make a billion, then you make a billion five then you make two billion. Like, do they supposed to just keep going up? I mean, yeah, it was a disappointment from that aspect. I'm sure they set a goal around what they think these films are going to do. And I don't think it met the goals. But uh, at the same time, you know, I'm sure between that and the theme park rides and the toys and everything else, Disney's more than made up the money that they paid out to uh, to George to make the properties right, too. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 But I mean, there's also, you know, there's, dare I say it, a little bit of Star Wars fatigue, right? So I think that's true. I think that's true. And we talked in a previous episode about Star or Star Trek fatigue, right? The idea yeah. that things just kind of caved in on Star Trek in the mid uh, first decade of the century. Things just sort of caved in. The TV series caved in. The movies caved in. Everything just sort of stopped because there had been just this nonstop uh, run of Star Trek shows. And, you know, they were kind of tapped out on good ideas, good characters, whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's where Star Wars is. That being said, you know, it's only been like the gap between the last film and the Mandalorian was not a long one. And the Mandalorian has been a rousing success. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. yeah but maybe the format is, is better with Mandalorian, like, you know, being being, you know, sort of shorter, um, mm-hmm. like a, is obviously a story arc, but shorter sort of episodic, you know, uh, approaches to it. Right. Serialize it. Well, kind of thing, and it's right? depth. I mean, we I think we've the three of us have had this discussion over and over again on, on this pod and, and and offline that, you know, there's just so much more you can do when you've got 12 hours to tell a story as opposed to, you know, yeah. two, yeah, exactly. you know, in two, you're really trying to blow people's minds. You're trying to really just keep them riveted in their seats and make them feel like the money they just shelled out and that they're sitting in a, in a, you know, room full of strangers for is worth it. That's a completely different objective than putting something on a streaming service that people can watch whenever they please in whatever circumstance they please and at whatever pace they please. Like that's, that's just a completely different ball game. True, true. Yeah. Cool. Well, speaking of Mandalorian, I, somebody's been editorializing because this, this, I had put this story much lower than it is now. Well, I, I thought we would segue a little better if we had the yeah, uh, truck well, leading yeah, into Trek. I get, I, get, I get, that's what I meant about the editorializing. That's me. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he can't help it. He can't help I it. I can't. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there was a controversial, and of course, you know, a Lucasfilm executive has defended, if you if you watch the last episode, sorry, Jaime, the last episode of The Mandalorian, uh, Baby Yoda does something which, you know, is kind of uncool. I mean, um, spoilers for those of you who haven't seen this episode. This is the third episode of Mandalorian, Jonathan. Yes, yes. So spoilers. We'll 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 put a link in the. We'll put a chapter note in here. But uh, and sorry, Hammer, just plug, put, plug your ears up for a minute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so there's this this character that we get introduced to as as Frog Lady or something like that, and she has these. She's basically got a container of her eggs, and she needs to get them. She needs the Mandalorian's help help to get that get them to the universe where her husband is there so he can do his manliness stuff to them to turn them into actual you know, viable uh, eggs right and and um, I, I'm not sure but the article says they were I think there's some sort of like they're on the brink of extinction I'm not sure about that she mentions that that uh, her family line this is their last oh, chance end. for her yeah. family line to be extended otherwise uh, it will be stuffed out well that's not exactly the same as and I'm doing air quotes as extinction as they say in the article here but, but uh, as we know um um, baby Yoda likes to eat um, amphibians and snakes and reptiles and things, right? Like he just likes to pop things in his mouth and and eat them. And so he sees these eggs as an opportunity to have some nice, you know, breakfast, you know? 
and uh, he manages to grab three of them. And of course, you know, we're all supposed to think, oh, isn't he cute and all that kind of stuff. And you know, the Mandalorian is like, don't do that, you know, stop doing that kind of thing. Um, and so, of course, but you know, people have taken quite, taken quite offense at the fact that they built up this story of these eggs being so precious. And as I said in the, in the article, and I was thinking this through the show, like, does she not know how to count? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, the baby manages to scarf down at least three of mm-hmm. these eggs, you know, that we see because he's. He's alone with the the container for quite a while, right? Um, yeah, and and so the argument that the executive gives is that the the the, the male frog hasn't done his manly duties to this uh, to this uh, brood of, of eggs, so technically they're not you know viable, I guess yet. So it's I don't know, it's kind of hard to sort of uh, to, to I don't know. I mean I thought it was I thought it was it was a stretch, but I didn't think it was unreasonable to have you know one creature consume another creature as as it were you know because you know we're all unless we're all going to turn vegan tomorrow mea culpa right yeah and and there's an larger overall sort of metaphor in the in the episode too because uh the baby is is um you know he's he's eating everything, and at one point that behavior gets them into some very very big trouble. And I will yeah, avoid the yeah. spoilers on that part, just to say that uh, his actions have consequences. And I think that's where you can turn it around and say, okay, well maybe that's the you see Timmy the moment of it where you you see Timmy what you shouldn't be doing. Um, and and that's where I think that's that sort of comes back around. I'm not sure he learns his lesson because the last the thing he does, yeah, because yeah, the last thing he does is eat the last one. But um, but the idea is that you know if he acts like that, things are bad. Things are going to happen. And the Mandalorian does actually it seems somewhat to scold him. Like it's not just like now now don't do that. He's like stop it. Like those are not food. Um, so right, yeah. I don't know. I mean it's it it's a gray area. I did kind of cringe my way through it because I was like ooh yeah that's not good. Like I honestly I figured the episode might play out with like she gets there and she's got like one left or some fool thing like that. <laughs> um, you know as you say like at some point doesn't she look down and be like I swear there was more eggs in this container. Yeah yeah um, yeah. But yeah it it was a little. It was played for humor, and I and I guess you know it was humorous the first time, but then you know when it keeps happening, you're like, ooh, that's kind of gross. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? We we're not the we're not the baby Yoda. We don't know what they taste like, but you know. I mean, that could just be the best giant caviar ever. I mean, you don't know exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so you're up with the next story. Yeah, this uh, another one we don't we need to go too far into, but Doctor Who is filming right now and is uh coming back for season 13 or series 13 of the new uh since the relaunch and we got news this week that due to covid and some of the restrictions that are being uh, placed on filming in the uk that series 13 has been chopped from 11 episodes planned to just eight and on top of that they're not sure what's going to happen as far as a 2020 21 holiday special whether one of those episodes where the final episode is going to be saved or if they just will not be a special next year because of this maybe they'll down the road they'll film it later or something but for right now there is uh yeah, a, a reduction of three episodes and uh, a real question mark on the festive special. 
uh we are we are definitely getting our our um festive special this year we still don't have a release date but we know that the revolution of the daleks was shot prior to the pandemic and is premiering sometime in that christmas new year's window uh so we are getting a new episode of doctor who soon uh we don't know when the new season's coming back but we do know that it's uh yeah truncated you know i'm kind of disappointed in doctor who because this is totally the kind of thing that doctor who could solve this covid19 thing (laughs) you know like he or she would just come and get right down to the root of it all go talk to the wall or tree or whatever that caused the problem and you know make it happy so that it would turn off does she speak to pangolins or yeah that kind of thing like she would she would find out that you know the pangolin really wanted to you know to eat the 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 frog eggs or something (laughs) you know but yeah it's a love affair between a bat and a pangolin well this is this is this this is the funny thing where like you know if you think about it like doctor who's always had this ability to to solve worldwide crises you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. or or you know yeah i mean and, and not just on our world but in multiple worlds right um and it just seems to be right within her wheelhouse you know so mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I have to say i'm disappointed in doctor who anyway all right so i mean what, what's up so uh wandavision is apparently got an actual release date now on disney plus that would be january 15th 2021 mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. i think mandalorian doesn't go that far right it ends sometime middle of december is that right um that's a good question i think yes i think it ends actually just before christmas um because it's discovery that lasts a little bit longer discovery goes right into i think the week before i think january 8th i think is the last episode of discovery but mandalorian ends i think um third week of december Okay. Or or okay. sooner, actually, now that I think of it. There are three episodes in. Fourth episode comes out tomorrow, and there's four more after that. So, yeah, early December. Okay. So, well done, Disney. He said, let's just leave a little gap in there. So people are <laughs> it's trying called to the binge Jaime all- Lopez Memorial Gap. Yeah, so that people are trying to just binge straight through. It's like, well, you're going to either have to, to cancel for like two weeks and then start again, or maybe <laughs> you just leave it behind running. the scenes making of the Mandalorian from season one, which is still good. I'm, mm. I'm halfway through those, and... You know, there's yeah, the Pixar in real life, and yeah, there's a couple of good good shows on. There's one I watched the other day on on the history of Pixar. I think was really good. Oh, I heard about that one, but I haven't seen it yet. Is it, yeah, that, that, that sounded interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's lots. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of world wide world of Disney stuff. World Wonderful World of Color mm-hmm. used to be called back mm-hmm. in the day. Some of those are starting to surface on on Disney Plus, which is kind of cool. I watched a few of those. Yeah, I remember watching them when I was young too, as a kid. Uh, they're, honestly, the Reservoir, especially you know, like everything that they've ever made and that's a long history of content and then to add the fox acquisition on top of that like they can yeah, continue yeah. to roll out content and they're developing obviously new stuff like it's it really is a treasure trove like it's well, it's well, a like bit I of said, a bargain when you look at it yeah you could you could just start with episode one of the simpsons and just let it run and just never have to change the channel for like a year right yeah well i mean my sons and i uh um, and my wife will sit down in the evenings and watch uh usually you know uh you know one half hour program we'll have a snack and we'll get ready for bed we've gone through a lot of different tv programs over the the past number of years um thankfully as their tastes have matured we've been 
able to watch some different things. But The Simpsons, since it came to Disney Plus, has been one that we've been enjoying. And I think we're into season eight or nine now. Uh, and we've been watching it for months. And we're only up to season nine. And there's 30 seasons. So, you know, right, we yeah. are, if we continue at this pace, we'll still be watching it by like next summer. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, Jaime. You were talking about WandaVision? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. I, I was watching FXX or something, you know, uh, broadcast channel that had a whole bunch of earlier Simpsons. It was definitely within the first, you know, five or six years. And that was kind of nice. So I could see just filling the, the two week gap with Simpsons episodes <laughs> <laughs> waiting for WandaVision to start. I think it'll be worth worth that one alone. I mean, WandaVision looks like a really interesting um an interesting concept and then to know that they're they are sort of using it as a not just a um a standalone product but that it is going to have ramifications in the movies whenever those return uh apparently this will set the stage for the new doctor strange film that they're working on obviously it's got ties to what happened in uh the last couple of avengers movies you know having the the marvel tv stuff connected more stringently to the marvel cinematic stuff than it has been in the past there was some ties between between, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some of that stuff, although, uh, you know, looser ties and the Netflix stuff, same thing. There, there's acknowledgement, but not a lot of involvement to have that now under one umbrella. Um, I think it's really exciting, uh, you know, exactly for the same reasons we were talking about with with Star Wars. You know, the idea that you can really take your time, tell a story, but with these like, you know, A-list Hollywood actors and that production value, this, this is really awesome. Cool. All right. Well, just before we get into into this week's episode of Star Trek, um, I stumbled across a couple of stories yesterday on uh, why the character Adira was addressed with the incorrect pronouns. We we questioned this ourselves last week, and it turns out it has a little bit to do with the actor Blue. What's her last or her name again? Blue Del Barrio. Blue Del Barrio. Um, she was saying that when she joined, uh, when she auditioned for the show, she was still in uh, acting school, and uh, at that point in time in her in their life, uh, they hadn't come out to their parents yet, and so uh, it was all right for them to be addressed with the pronoun she or her um, during the making of the show. So, as it is now, if you you know if, when when you're talking about these two characters, one is uh, is gray as a transgender character, and um, um, what do we say? Uh, what's the terminology for blue? It's binary, uh, non-binary, yeah, non-binary, non-binary, yes. non-binary. Yeah. So yeah. she preferred. Sorry, they prefer to be. Um, referred to with, with them and they, so that explains why uh, in the, in the episodes we're going to be watching uh, that uh, Adira's character will be referred to as she and her during the making of the show. Even though I think at some point in the she does sort of allude to the fact that in the show they'll they'll come across and uh, you know make their pronouns known. There you go. Hmm. And I managed to get to that without screwing the pronouns up too badly. Well done. Anyway, so this is the part of the show, folks, where we talk about Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trang, and I believe Jonathan is doing the recap this week. Indeed, I am. All right. How about you? All right. So, we start off with a quiet scene. Uh, Burnham and Saru are sort of talking. They're headed towards the uh, Starfleet and Federation headquarters which, of course, they got the information from uh, uh, Adira Tall, who uh, is now contacted inside of her uh, Trillho 
outpost. Um, she can access the Marisa Senatal and gives them the directions to get there. And they are heading towards this place and, you know, Burnham is excited, but she's kind of uh, got something on her mind. Clearly, she's thinking about sort of one of the big mysteries that we've been left with um, from season two to season three, which is what happened to Burnham's mom. And so she mentions that, you know, I, I'm I'm hoping that when we get there, we can we can figure out what happened, that we can try and reach out to her, that we can try and uh, put the pieces together and figure out what happened to her, because we don't know uh, what happened to her mom. So the Discovery is headed towards this location, and as they come towards it, it's this um, sort of void in space, and they quickly deduce that it is a distortion field that is uh, obscuring its location. Um, they pierce this in a very dramatic way, and they come to the other side, and boof, they're inside this bubble that houses all of these uh, Starfleet ships and a great big huge uh, sort of center column building uh, floating in space that looks like uh, sort of a more modern version of a Starfleet headquarters or Starbase. Star and the crew is excited and they're all smiling and they're just looking around at all these cool, you know, the evolution of the work that they're involved with. You know, these are scientists and technicians and, and uh, you know, they're people who are really jazzed about tech and they're just like, oh my gosh, look at that one. Oh my gosh, look at this one. And the one thing that really catches their eye is, oh, look, there's the Voyager, uh, the Voyager J. Right. Yeah. Uh, which they quickly deduce, of course, is the 11th generation of Voyager, or is it? We'll talk about that more later. Um, so they make contact. They say, hey, you know, we're here, you know, reporting for duty. They get the uh, word from the headquarters that they're going to beam uh, Saru, Burnham, and Adira Tall over to the headquarters and everybody else can stay put. Um, a nice little moment here where Saru gives the con to Lieutenant Nilsson, our beloved Canadian. Lieutenant Nilsson takes the command mm-hmm. of the ship as a Canadian in charge of the disco. I know, I know. Gorgeous. for everybody. Yeah. yeah. With, with some, some lines, too, because I had been very uh, cynical about uh, Lieutenant Tax Credit there that, uh, you know, maybe it was a little unfair. Maybe they were just slowly working the character into the into the show. Yeah. Um, and this this whole opening sequence, really, it's everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. It really is a real pivot from last week's episode, which is a real sort of slow burn downer, you know, everybody coming to grips with the separation and the, the, the anxiety and the stress that they've all gone through this one it feels like it just lifts off them like a cloud they're all excited that they're reuniting with the federation and with starfleet a really a real energy to the to the scene people crowded around the windows and all all excited it just definitely set a real tone um and oof we're into our opening credits we come back and uh we've got saru burnham and adira aboard the uh the the main star base there and there they meet charles vance Admiral Charles Vance, the Commander-in-Chief of Starfleet, and uh, his Security Chief Lieutenant Willa. Um, And there they get a little information download from a bit of a prickly Admiral, who's sort of wary and really trying to get a read on who these people are and are they what they say they are. Um, We find out that Kaminar eventually joined the Federation, so a real pride for Saru to know that his people not only, uh, you know, evolved from the place that 
that you obviously helped them get out of where they were kind of oppressed, but to the point where they became an independent species and eventually joined the Federation. So he's just chuffed. Uh, we also get a little information that there is this um, syndicate, this sort of uh, crime group led by the Orions and the Andorians. Uh, the Cuyahoga is reporting the Orion and Andorian vessels in the Sigma Draconis system. It's the Emerald Chain. So now we, we get our first clue that this is, uh, you know, this something is going on there. And they mentioned the name Osira. Osira is brazen, Vance says. Um, so I'm sure that's going to come back around. Uh, Vance is, as I said, very skeptical of the story, but he's also very curious and he stops and he, he starts talking with uh, Adira and says, you know, you know, she sort of apologized. She said, you know, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have this, you know, voice of Senatol in my mind. He wants you to know that he was sorry that he couldn't come sooner. He really just wanted to say, stay in on Earth for one more snowfall. He would have joined you afterwards. Um, and Vance is, I think, interested, but again, he sort of shuts her down and he says, you know, just so you're clear, you know, he and I were familiar. You and I are not familiar. Okay, you know, take this one to sickbay and give her a, give her a medical scan. Um, so kind of brusque and, you know, Burnham gives her the nod. It's fine. But clearly we're getting a little, little taste that Vance is, you know, a hard nut to crack. Um, we notice that there's this group of uh, people down in the med bay. There's an emergency going on. Uh, these are the Keeley. They are a group of refugees and they are going through some severe medical distress. Uh, they're apparently packed out to the hallways and they're suffering failure of their nervous systems. Um, and, you know, we see them and they're clearly in, in huge pain. Burnham, being Burnham, immediately volunteers to help and says, you know, listen, you know, we can, we've got, you know, we can help you if you give us some information. And Vance kind of dunks on her and sort of says, you know, like, this you know don't worry about it you know with your 22nd century ship we're fine we'll figure it out uh you know don't don't sweat it um and then and then we're into the debrief and we get a bit of a data download so we meet dr eli who's the ai uh hologram doctor who is very weird and uh we get some some information from the admiral who says you know okay so you know the federation is now made up of 38 worlds instead of 350 which is what they what they peaked at um and he is you know still not interested in talking about the burn with them he doesn't want to talk about that with them until he can figure out their story and he says you know I've got two truths here. I don't think you're lying to me, but I also, I can't corroborate anything you're saying. And beyond that, we've spent the last, you know, number of years uh, trying to uphold these temporal accords that say, you know, people from the past can't come to the future. People from the future can't go to the past. And you guys just broke the law. And so, you know, they're sort of taken aback that, you know, you know, we just, you know, sacrificed our family lives, everything that we've known, moved to the future and did all this to to protect all living species. And now you guys are telling us that we're like, you know, in trouble. Um, and he doubles down on this by saying, you know what, we're also, you know, we think that we can make some use of you. So we're going to requisition the disco for analysis and retrofit. And we're going to reassign your crew to other jobs. If you want to be useful, this is the most useful thing you can do. Uh, as you'd expect, Burnham and Saru are, are not impressed with this idea. Burnham argues for keeping the crew together. And, um, you know, we, end up with a scene with Saru and Burnham where she sort of says, you know, like, listen, we gotta we gotta try and do something here. We gotta find the cure for these Keeley. We can use the spore drive. We can we can do things. We can show them that we're valuable and maybe they'll, they'll let us stick together. We can prove that we're valuable as a team. Um, then we get into the debrief scenes where they're debriefing 
some of the senior staff. So we get some great lines. Culber, yes, I was dead. Uh, yes, I was murdered. But we're on, we're on much better terms now. Uh, Reno, <laughs> it was raining Starfleet officers when talking about Pike and uh, Burnham going down to rescue her. Um, they're getting questioned about the Emerald Chain, so they think maybe they're involved with them. Tilly uh, says, I was a Terran captain slash dominatrix. Um, which is pretty funny. And Non just messing with the hologram, saying, uh, go ahead, throw me in the brig, hologram. Yeah, name and serial, name, rank and serial number. Name, rank and serial number, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, keep, keeping true to the security part of, like, I give up nothing. <laughs> Other people might, but I give up nothing. Yeah. But the real highlight of that is the interrogation of Georgia, who is being interrogated by these two holographic uh, characters. And standing off to the one side is the unmistakable visage of David Cronenberg, Canada's own, uh, who is just sort of monitoring along. And... Um, they're asking all kinds of, you know, uh, weird questions of her. They know that she's a Terran. So, you know, they're, they're being pretty harsh with her. And um, the one great question was, what's your connection to control? And she says, we dated. Um, <laughs> and then she realizes that she can spot the weakness in the, the holograms and she blinks them out of, out of uh, existence, which was a very funny trick. Um, not sure I understand what it is she did, but you know, still pretty. But funny. she said she was blinking at the frequency of their resonators, and that messes them up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how you would figure that out in real time, but interesting. Um, we cut back to the discussion about you know what can they do to um, uh, get the information and, and help the Keeley, and it uh, turns out that they were exposed to mutated nutritional things and they don't say what could be plants animals whatever uh while visiting the planet erna that used to be a hub for enrichment of unstable metals and so they've they've clearly ingested something that was not meant to be ingested um they get the idea that you know they could track down this seed vault ship the uss tikov and the um the hope is that if they can get the pure stuff that was before it was mutated, they can then figure out an antidote and then help this. Uh, Vance says, oh, that's a great idea. We'll just get all of your crew off the Discovery and then we'll train our crew and then we'll take the Discovery out and we'll do this. And Burnham says, you know, this is ridiculous. You're wasting time. We have to start. We have to go. We've got a crew that can do this. Let's just do it. And Saru, ever the diplomat, a lot more cool-headed then Burnham says, listen, let Burnham go, take Willa with her, with, uh, with them, and I'll stay here. And, you know, Vance basically says, you know, you better hurry up because if you don't, you know, your captain's going to be the one who pays for it. Um, so, again, continuing to be a, a real prick. Disco goes, foof, they do, <laughs> they do the black alert. Uh, they joke, jokingly and with a smile uh, say, you know, you might want to hold on to something to Willa. Uh, they do a black alert. Foof, they spore drive out to uh, where they think this ship is going to be. And uh, Willa looks like she's going to throw up on the bridge, which is pretty funny. Uh, they come to the edge of where there is an ion storm happening. And inside the ion storm is the Tikov. There are these huge energy waves that are cresting off of the ion storm. And they're buckling the front of the ship. They're knocking the shields down and when we see Detmer who is still struggling from 
her experiences over the past few episodes, uh, you know, the crash landing, going through the wormhole, all of that is still weighing on her and she's struggling and she's not sure what to do. Uh, Owo, sitting next to her, leans over and, you know, gives her some encouragement, says, you know, like, listen, you got this, you can do this, don't, don't panic, like, we got time, we're fine. And Detmer sort of takes a moment and then refocuses, fixes things, gets them in the right position so they can use their tractor beam, and they pull the Tikov out of the storm. They then decide they're going to head down. They're, they're going to beam aboard the ship. Uh, they know that there's a Barzon family inside taking care of it. That's the, the species that Nan is. So they uh, decide that they're going to head down there. So it's Culber, Burnham, and Nan headed down to the seed ship. And uh, Nan is particularly chuffed because she finds out that not only are the Kelpians members of the Federation, but so are the Barzon. And in her timeline, she was shunned for the fact that she... Uh, joined Starfleet and aligned herself with the Federation. Um, the bad news is this time, as they're heading out, th- out the door, Reese gets the con. So, sorry, Lieutenant Nielsen, you don't get the con this time. We head down to the seed ship. They go inside, and the seed ship isn't just a seed ship. It's a jungle in there. And they're like, huh, that's weird. Non gets down there and she can take off her breathing apparatus. It changes because the atmosphere there is calibrated for Barzon. And when she takes off her device and she starts breathing in this air, her eyes change color and it she looks very different and it's very kind of odd. Um, they are having a look around and we see these sort of shimmering distortion of light. Something is clearly off. My mind immediately went to Predator. Uh, some, <laughs> something... I mean, yeah. come on. They're in a jungle. There's things. It's yeah. just shadows and distortions. Predator. Uh, get your ass to the chopper. They then cut back to uh, the the interrogation of Georgia by the unnamed character who I will be calling Cronenberg going forward. Um, he says he's very curious about why Georgia was with the Discovery. And she says, well, I'm curious about your badge. And she takes, he says, oh, you want to see it? And he hands her the badge and she picks it up, puts it under her boot heel and stomps on it and looks at what's inside. Um, she wants the information about the burn and he says, you know, yeah, we've, we've looked into it. There's no clear bad guy behind the burn. This is just something that happened. We don't really have answers. Um, and the two of them sort of have this little little chess match where they're trying to sort of look for each other's weaknesses and find things out. And in the course of this, he kind of staggers her a little bit by revealing that the Terran Empire has fallen, that it fell centuries ago. And right. beyond that, that there have been no crossings from their dimension into this dimension in 500 years. Um, and you can see that it's actually unsettled her a little bit. And beyond that, he further deduces that, you know, it's very out of character for somebody like her to be aboard the Discovery, to make that choice to go with them. And he says, well, there, you must be here because you care about something or someone, uh, which, of course, we know is Burnham. He smash cut over to Burnham. Boom, right to Burnham. And there's Burnham and Culber and Nan. And they discover this hollow of this family, this Barzon family. And uh, they are sitting there and they're playing with this plant on the table in this in this hollow video. And the mother is holding one of the children and she's humming a song. And not coincidentally, it is the same tune that Adira was playing on her cello in the previous episode. Dun, dun, dun. We'll talk more about that later, too. Uh, in this moment, we... 
cut in a little bit on Nan, and Nan is clearly missing her Barzan existence. She's clearly, you know, she's seeing this family, and it's reminding her of home. Um, we then learn a little bit about what had happened to them. We turn off the hologram. Nan starts going through the computer and discovers this uh, hollow of Dr. Addis, who's the father of the family. And he simply says, well, there's this light. This light hurt the family. And he's trying to figure out a way to help them. And then we see Burnham and Culber uh, discovering this chamber. And inside the chamber are these um, cryostasis pods. And inside the pods are the mother and the two children. But Culber quickly says, you know, they're in these pods, but they're dead. Um, From there, they deduce that Addis must have broken into the seed vault, planted all these things, nurtured them in this Barzan environment that apparently is very um, good for plants in the hope that he could find something that might be able to help the family. Um, I don't know if he thinks he was going to find a cure for death, but clearly not. Um, Burnham's inside the seed vault. She's trying to figure out what's going on in there. How does she access it? She can't get in. And Addis sort of appears out of nowhere and attacks her. She defends herself. And then he just sort of vanishes in this weird sort of distortion again. So we realize that, you know, he's the predator and uh, they deduce that he's just seems like he's out of sync. Things are not right. Uh, and But they know that they need to figure this out because clearly this seed vault is only going to respond if he helps. They need his voice. They need his access codes. They need to be able to, to uh, have his support in order to, to complete their mission. Um, they figure out that um, through the engineering team, so Reno and Tilly and Stamets, uh, along with Willa, are in the engineering department. They're trying to figure out what the heck the problem was, how things had gone wrong. They detect the presence of beta particles and they figure out that there was a coronal mass ejection, a CME or a starburp that had uh, happened about six weeks previous that they had been in close contact with. And that had been the bright light that had clearly um, killed the uh, three members of the family. And at the time that he was trying to... uh, teleport, I guess. He was trying to use the transporter. Uh, Dr. Addis got moved into this weird place, sort of halfway between reality and distortion. Um, They are trying to figure out how they're going to get Addis's attention. They decide to go um, a pretty extreme route. They decide they're going to turn the cryotubes off. And when he shows up and realizes like, oh no, I got to stop this, they then lock lock onto him and they beam him back into full existence. Addis still won't unlock the vault. He's not interested in it. None not getting through to him. She's trying to talk to him bars on to bars on. It's not working. And Culber sort of says, you know, you got to go talk to him. You got to level with him. Like he's got to, he's got to accept where things are. And so Burnham talks to him and sort of says, you know, listen, your family's dead. You can't save them anymore. And we're really sorry about that. But there are people who are suffering and you can save them and you have to help us. And this gets through to him and he reveals the passwords. Passwords are Ama and Tolpra, which were the names of the two brightest men moons, most beautiful moons in the Barzon system, but also the names of his daughters who are now gone. Um, they get the seeds they need. They're ready to move on. Addis says, you know what? I don't care. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving this. This is this is where I belong. This is what I'm doing. And they said, listen, you've been exposed to this radiation. You're going to die. Like, you can't stay here. And 
Nan says, you know what? I'll stay. I'm going to stay. I'll stay with him and I will take over the mission. Um, she says, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to see my home again. I want to I want to go back there. And so with a tearful farewell and a bit of a weird moment, because I didn't really feel like there was a strong connection between Nan and Burnham before this. They cry together. They hug each other. Uh, Nan says some very nice things about Burnham, but I felt like it was a little contrived. Um, but there's a big farewell. She takes the mission. She looks at the window. She she sees Discovery, woof, back. They're gone. And, of course, they head back to uh, Starfleet Federation headquarters. They bring back what they need. They're working on it. They're trying to save the people. It's all good. Uh, there's a lovely little reference to a new renaissance that, uh, you know, they talk about Giotto. Giotto? Uh, yeah, Giotto, yeah. Um, who helped spark the re- the renaissance after the Dark Ages. And um, they use it as a metaphor. And we start to see a little bit of that icy veneer on the Admiral Melt. And and he says, you know what? You guys did the mission. You did what you said you would do. You're clearly a good team. Uh, you guys can stay together, but you do what I say. You still work for me. I'm the admiral. You're under my command. And they're like, fine. And just as they're ready to go, Saru's like, let's get out of here. Burnham says, no, no, no. We need to know. We need to know about the burn. And he says, listen, there's conflicting rumors. There's conflicting theories. Nothing concrete. We really don't know what caused the burn. And Burnham says, challenge accepted. This is clearly not <laughs> going to end with, you know, good enough. We just don't know what happened. Um, so then we get a little little recap. We get a little bit of, uh, you know, it seems too coincidental that the music has been playing in different ways. Uh, so, you know, they touch back on that, sort of set the stage for that to be a mystery for a few more episodes. Georgiou uh, is sort of standing in the hall, staring off into space. Burnham is talking to her. You know, are you okay? Is everything all right? Whatever. And, you know, uh, Burnham expressing concern and Georgiou now that she's been called out on having this weakness for Burnham is a little bit icy to her too right um, and, but but catatonic like she's like not moving for like a good minute right yeah she's really like she's not just you know in her own in zone, moment yeah. she's clearly somewhere else in that moment so interesting to see where that goes uh, and then we wrap up with you know where we started you know Saru and Burnham talking uh, and Saru saying the same things he's been saying to Burnham for several episodes and also several seasons, you know, you got to learn to play nicer with the other kids. Uh, you know, you're going to have to control you know, the way you talk and the way you act from people like the Admiral. Uh, you're, you know, be be nice. And uh, yeah, and we wrap up there. Um, Same thing happened on young Sheldon today too. play nicer with the other kids. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he gets a job as a docent in the train museum and ends up getting fired because he keeps, you know, correcting the, the, the head guy the head curator yeah <laughs> you gotta learn to play nice with the other kids you know <laughs> exactly so what are your impressions overall of this episode this is a, this, another long sort of twisted story like storyline this like a lot of different plot lines in this one um i find it odd that you know like i've been through a couple of restructurings i've been through a couple of company mergers and stuff like that and and you know when you're the when you're the 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 person being merged into like you know like like the um discovery arriving at this new federation for what it for what it's worth um they're sort of the bigger stakeholders in this thing um it's not surprising that that they would be told no you can't do that you're not going to be the heroes that you're, you you think you you're 
expected to be, even though we are watching a TV show called Star Trek Discovery, right? <laughs> and we're, you know, yeah. that, so that's the first thing. Second thing is like, you know, it would, in the original series, I was thinking it wouldn't be unusual for them to be, you know, for them, for the guy to say, you've committed a crime, take them to the brig. And mm. then, then, you know, you know, Scott or Kirk and Spock and McCoy would be examining their navels saying, what did we do? You know, mm. kind of thing. And how do we get out of here and whatever? But so, so it's, it's interesting from that perspective. Of course, you know, they have to go off and solve the problem. But I didn't get why she's so adamant about the fact that they can solve this this disease that these people have come come up with. I mean, other than she does say halfway through the episode that it's a sci- they're a science special. So I guess that's in their wheelhouse. But I, d- I found that odd, you know, that that, um, that that would be the story. And then, you know, this sort of um, bouncing over to the, to the seed ship and then the whole subplot, you know, storyline of this family and this guy that again was like another doctor who episode mm-hmm. where you know the guys like become a specter and you know the, the family's dead and whatever and then um I, I in the in the trailer at the very beginning you know how you're always talking about the telegraph things mm-hmm. right because it's non who says that um uh, sarah minich's character originally Ariam, Ariam, yeah yeah she sacrificed herself to save burnham even though she would like you know it was a great warrior move she says this to philippa right yep. and then and then at the end of the episode, that same character decides to basically give up her commission on start at, 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 with the Federation to take over this seed ship again. Why? Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, because her because it was run by because because she can breathe the air. I don't know. I mean, you're going to hang out with this this ghost guy now. What's the story? Or I guess they're the last two people of their civilization or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that they are, but the, I did find it strange because they do say like you're going to die without medical attention and she says well i'll stay and can yeah. finish the mission but does that mean that guy's gonna die <laughs> but is he is he going to with the discovery with with the to get the thing and i thought they were going to pull the titan out of the the uh the ion storm i thought that was the whole point of the tractor beam right oh the tikov thing tikov yeah yeah, yeah they, the they did they did yeah well why wouldn't they just tow, tow it back to federation space because it's not supposed to be in federation space that's the whole point of a seed vault right like, oh, there, there's a seed vault okay. here in in on earth too there is yeah. uh, there is a seed vault it is in i believe norway um, okay. in the middle of effing nowhere and it's there for a reason it's because if all hell breaks loose it'll still be there um and, and so the <laughs> idea of the seed vault being a ship in this case is that it's not tied to one place it is out away from everything else because if somebody attacks the federation slash starfleet and they lose that it's gone we don't want to lose our carrots and our potatoes you stuff. got it you got to get those space potatoes yeah those Mark Watney potatoes. Those are very important. Yeah. Another thing about the music, too, I found that the music, the, the part where she's in the seed vault reminded me a lot of Jean-Michel Jarre music, right? Like, it was almost, almost the oxygen, you know, movement, you know, mm. from from his album. Mm. And because uh, I was thinking during the whole show, the music was, the, the music was, a, there was a lot of weird sort of instrumentally music in this in this episode, more than, than I'm used to seeing or hearing, I guess, right? Yeah. I just found it odd, you know? Yeah. I guess they use music to move the, the, the emotional along and the plot along yeah. a bit, right? Yep. I mean, how about you? What uh, what did you make of all this? Yeah, that is, is pretty neat. I, I think something I'm seeing as kind of a, a a structure here is kind of an evolution of what season two was, where there's this overarching sort of through line for the story. But you can mostly watch each of these episodes of the season largely out of order, and you'd still kind of pretty much know what's going on, uh, mm-hmm. or at least enough to, to get the gist, which I think is probably going to be the right balance where, you know, every every episode is the the 
knew, you know, what's going on in the Federation or or the, the tatters left of the Federation episode, but they're slowly getting to you know, a better sort of a, a better you know, path forward where it seems like they have to not only figure out what's going on with former Federation worlds, but convince them, hey, y'all should reform and, and, and have the Federation as a combined union again. And yeah. there's this also this thing of like, well, but it might be sort of difficult without understanding what the burn was, because I think people might be understandably not really keen on being vulnerable again, right? Like, yeah. like we saw that Earth had made itself very insular and like decided to be, well, we're self-sufficient, so forget everybody else. Right. Yeah, I thought there was a, a good moment in there where um, towards the end of the episode where Admiral, um, was it named Vance? Says, you know, when they're talking about sort of the circumstance that they're in, he acknowledges that they've been in this sort of triage mode post-burn mm-hmm. for 120 years where it's been about you know, salvage, protect, you know, prepare, defend, you know, sort of get things out. They aren't thinking about the big picture. They're really focused on making the best of what they've got and trying to sort of do the best they can, but they aren't really thinking about that. And that's where that metaphor of the, the Renaissance comes in, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, is the I guess the idea is that, you know, Discovery is the Giotto who help, will help spark the Renaissance and people will look up and not just be, you know, doing their daily tasks and, and just focusing on you know getting through the day they're actually going to start thinking about the big picture of you know you know expanding and growing and reuniting and connecting and all those things um, that being said the burn is still the biggest problem there's no dilithium things are in bad shape they were saying that they can't reach some of the uh, can't contact some of the outer world that's why they've gone from you know, 350 to 36 or 38 is that, um, you know, they're just too far away now. No dilithium can't go there, can't even in the subspace channels are all gone too, right? Well, I mean, now, now they have the sport drive, they can jump, right? Well, that's, that's it. Cool. And that's theoretically, that's the glue, right? And yeah. that's why I'm sure uh, two episodes from now, we're going to end up on Vulcan. Yeah. It, well, and just to bring back, come back to the the uh, the analogy of the of the Giotto coming out of the dark, dark ages is that, you know, the three point perspective is what Cerus talks about. Mm. And that is a mechanical drawing device where, you know, you have, you have like, normally when you learn to draw stuff, you have, like, you draw things flat and then eventually learn about perspective. And you so you have a left and a right perspective, uh, you know, and, and cubes and whatever come out of that space. But when you have the, the, the third point, which is the, the, the height or the zero point, right, things can grow out of that. So you can say, have things like skyscrapers and stuff like that in your in your illustrations. And so it's kind of like, it's, it's sort of a, you sort of saying that you know expanded the perspective of people in dark in the, you know in the dark ages so it's kind of like they're bringing the perspective to to this new this new federation that's been floundering along in triage mode my favorite line in the entire movie and i thought oh my god no was when he says we don't do five-year missions anymore i'm thinking mm. so what is this deep space nine now <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was over by tng though right it was just the the continuing mission yes until this ship yes. plows into a mountain or something you just keep going. <laughs> well, but back in back in Discovery time frame, you know, it just was like it was like the ship or two, one or two ships before the Enterprise, which had five year missions, right? Yeah, you know, as thing goes. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the other thing that uh, I hadn't seen, but you know, very um, sharp eyed people did was that they're one of the ships when they go into the starbase is the USS Nog. Oh, nice. <laughs> a little, little 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 tip of the hat to uh, Aaron Eisenberg, which is was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. 
Yeah. Um, and then you had mentioned, uh, but we didn't go back to the USS Voyager J, mm-hmm. which I definitely saw on screen. They definitely, you know, pointed that one out. Yeah. Yep. They almost drove into it. Yeah, exactly. So the bigger question is, is the J a retrofitted original Voyager? Is that the Voyager mm. or is the J an 11th different ship that has been that? Well, somebody says the 10th and then somebody corrects them and says, no, it would be the 11th, right? Because the first Voyager didn't have a letter, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I assume it looks it like was... Voyager 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. Had that snub nose. Exactly. It's it's hard to tell from certainly the angle they showed it at made it seem like it might have uh, been at least a very similar design. I don't know. I'd have to go back to see, you know, did, did we see the entire... Uh, entire hull to get an idea but i just assumed it was uh in honor of and not okay post burn well we've got all these ships in the museum can we pull one out and start flying around in it i mean maybe yeah well they talked about nacelles not being actually physically connected or attached to the ship and where did they put the corp core and and, uh, one ship was actually made up of holographic holographic projection like the the walls yeah the walls inside the ship are all holographic projections and then there was one big giant one which was just a big giant like rain forest mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. 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 it's cool yeah i mean like you know it's kind of like it's kind of like the the um search for oh, is it search for spock no the voyage home where where you they pick up that woman the the whale expert mm-hmm. right and what is she going to do now like she's now in the future and where does she go she has to go off and be just to go learn how to use a spoon and a can opener now right because they're different in you know the future right well but then they've uh, also just brought whales back so she suddenly got like gainful employment. no i mean she what i'm, I'm talking about and talking about the fact that she has to now fit into society. I mean, like she has to learn how to use the the new iPhone 12, and because she's never even seen an iPhone before, kind of. She thing. doesn't and know like, how the the three seashells so, work, sort of. That's thing. right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. I love it. Exactly. And so these these uh, you know these people have now come 900 years into the future. I mean, like we're talking about bringing people from you know, like think about it. A thousand years ago, you brought a guy who was around a thousand years ago, and you put him in the middle of downtown Toronto. Like, what's he going to do? Yeah. You know, other than stare at like you won't know how to how traffic lights work and what cars are and you know what I mean like like I mean the th- the fact that that we saw ships that are that are you know recognizable to us mere mortals in the 20th century right um 900 years in the future things are going to be completely different you know mm-hmm. you would think mm-hmm. yeah right yeah it uh it I mean again the fish out of water thing I think is mm-hmm. going to continue to play itself, right? Like there's no, it's not over with, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, the teaser for next week's episode. Um, Which I didn't get to see again. We, they don't show them on Rogers. Yeah. It, um, it it looks like book is coming back. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. More of a Star Wars-y feel for uh, this, mm-hmm. this next episode preview. Yep. Yeah. Cause I saw the, I think I posted the story or maybe on the Slack channel that, that Cronenberg was going to be in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause people picked that out of the, uh, out of the whole thing. And it's funny, like, when they sort of said, you know, why are, why are you wearing glasses? Or she says to him, why, um, Georgia says, why are you wearing glasses? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the future, exactly, you know. Yeah, why are you wearing glasses? And he said, I think they look good. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love Cronenberg being Cronenberg. That was awesome. Yeah, I, they never really address it, but it, he seems very Section 31, but then... Mm. They never really get into it. Well, he did talk about the fact that he's been studying Terran Terran history, right? So yeah, yeah, he's sort of the resident expert on it, right? Yeah, which is why he's interrogating her. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to our watch list since we've got a few minutes left here. Um, I'll go first. Say, look, I'm up first. Um, so yeah, the Crown is coming out. I think on Sunday, the Crown season three starts. You know, and and um, I 
grew up with a queen, you know, so I'm kind of interested in this person. My mother was a queen for a day once, or yes, I think, yeah, queen for a day. Um, I almost met Queen Elizabeth once, but uh, yeah, so I'm interested in this story. And of course, this is the uh, the saga of Charles and Diane. This 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 season's uh, gist, anyway. Um, and I gotta say, I started watching Umbrella Academy a couple of days ago, maybe yesterday, and yeah, during uh, on, we had a day off yesterday, so I binged a few shows of that. The Umbrella Academy. I've forgotten how good it is. It's so it good. Is really, really good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, for me, it gets clouded because I get, cl- what's the other one? Doom Patrol and uh, there's something else. And and Doom Patrol's okay. And the boys. But, you know, and there's I, a lot of overlap and sort of feel between the boys. Style, and, yeah. Well, the boys is really good, too. The no, boys is really good. I think all of the series are good. It's just, you know, they're yeah. different in their own ways. Yeah. But Umbrella Academy has a sort of a, sort of a um, reluctant hero kind of j- vibe going to it and and each one of them has a really interesting super ability or power or whatever right Mm -hmm. so yeah and of course you know time travel has always been a thing you know big famous you know i love time travel stories but yeah fish out of water and that kind of stuff yeah yeah are you you finished it or are you still working your way through it no i'm four episodes in so yeah yeah it's i i really really enjoyed this past season I, i thought season one was strong but this one really seemed like the character depth it's more and, fun. It, it's more and fun. just, yeah. yeah, and the characters are just, like, you're really starting to get to really know and love each of the characters separately. And then their dynamics with each other. Um, and some just some amazing performances. I thought that, like, this season had so many good moments for each of the characters. Like, lots of, lots of meat to chew on. Like the, the dude with the long hair that's the, the leader of the cult. I'm not sure of his name, which one he is. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God, what is his name? He was, like, in the first, not Diego. Diego's the other yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his character in in this series is it's much more interesting than he was in close, the first one. Close, I really, close. Klaus. I didn't I didn't really get into him much. You know, of course you get in no, five you get into because he's sort of a, just a character on his own. Right? Yeah. And, that kid's great you know, too. I, I you, we were talking yeah. about it when we were watching it. My, he acts like a 58 year old guy. Well it's funny because my, my wife and I were watching it and I said you know like mm-hmm. this kid is a really good actor and she's like well you know he's probably like 25 and he's just playing a kid or whatever. Maybe. I said be, you know what I don't think he is and we looked it up he just turned 17 in september so wow. when doing this stuff he was 16 or 15 when he was doing the first season of 14 right, 15 right. he is a great young actor he really is good mm-hmm. like his you're right he like he kills it as that and there's some really good stuff for him later in the season but he really kills it in this season and yeah mm-hmm. but i mean my favorite by far is klaus's storyline is so good um, and the lady with the bullet wound in her head was she in the first series yes yeah the handler the handler Okay. Yes, she was. Uh, she was the the sort of head of the big bad organization in the uh, okay. first season. Okay. Yep, the baddies. Yep. yep, and that's Kate Walsh, of course. Grey's Anatomy, Kate, Kate Walsh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and you got you got to love the scene this week. This week, I, the scene I saw was the um, the the guy who steps on the mine. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they have they have the uh, Viking funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, there's so, much good. so much good. So much good. I I really did. I really love that series. I'm I'm hoping that it continues for many years to come right right cool. all right what's your uh, what's your picks uh so we had talked about this one several episodes back that it was a um, on my to-do list so i started to doing it um truth seekers which is, is it a show or a movie it is a tv program it is a it is an okay. episodic tv program um on amazon prime this is the one with uh nick frost and simon Pegg. uh of course famously Shaun of the dead um 
the and spaced and spaced of course um the premise is that uh frost is a um a broadband expert and he's an installer and he gets all of these jobs at the weirdest places that have the weirdest sort of unexplained issues around why signals aren't working everything else and some of those cross into the paranormal and he also has a youtube channel where he does his sort of you know look inside the paranormal and he gets this new partner who's supposed to come along and learn the ropes from him and this guy quickly sort of falls down the rabbit hole of uh the weirdness of uh england and some of these sort of potentially haunted weird uh places uh i have now watched half the first season and uh it's definitely enough to make me keep coming back for more so i'm gonna try and polish that off this weekend the episodes aren't you know terribly long um it is weird though i will flag for people it's not a peg and frost strictly buddy program like a lot of the previous work that they've done um peg plays frost's boss and he usually only has like one to two scenes per episode and they only last for a minute or two so he's not a central character it's really focused on frost and his partner uh this installer who's <laughs> whose name is elton john um and it's sort of about the two of them going off and and basically they check in with peg peg gives them an assignment and then they go off to the sort of you know haunting of the week kind of kind of deal um but it's good and it's funny uh malcolm mcdowell plays nick frost's dad who lives with him um he's really funny um it's it's a weird balancing act though it's a real not uh, it's not as funny as Shaun of the dead it has some pretty creepy moments the music definitely conveys a tone of mystery and darkness and stuff but then there are some sort of genuinely goofy moments you know there's a, a joke at one point where they're trying to figure out how to do a spell and that may involve drinking a glass of urine and it's it's funny like there's definitely a lot of funny parts it was very darkly funny um and the humor draws from the sort of um from that sort of spiritual darkness haunting kind of stuff um but there are some moments where it's also it's you know it's kind of creepy too like there's you know at one point this somebody's being haunted by this ghost that is like a you know somebody who died in a fire and they're all burned and it's kind of creepy so it, it, it really walks this sort of you know tightrope between these two sort of things of being this like genuinely creepy sort of x-filesy kind of thing and also being the sort of nick frost you know being funny kind of thing um but it works somehow it works it's funny i like it cool all right what's your next pick the next pick next well pick. um i'm I'll, i'm gonna just <clears throat> excuse me i'm just gonna <sighs> blow, just get a little dust off my soapbox here uh we ordered a PS5 uh, yeah. because, you know, we'll get some use out of it here at the house full of boys. And uh, I would like to shout out the, the people at Canada Post and uh, shout out. I would like to shoot holes full of the people at Best Buy and Canada Post who felt like it was OK to send uh, the remote control, the controller and the games today, but decided that it was not necessary to get the actual system on the day of release to their uh, uh, purchasers. Uh, Pre-ordered this several months ago it's not like they didn't have any notice about where it was going i don't know who's responsible but uh damn man my ps5 didn't show up today <laughs> it says according to canada post's website that it's going to arrive on monday which is of course when you want it when the game system comes out on a thursday 
I realize these Spoilers. are first world problems, yeah. <laughs> but damn, man, I want my PS5. Did you get the optical drive one or the or the digital one? No, I got the optical. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. So the digital one, you'd basically only be able to download games from online purchase. Yes. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no more like that eliminates obviously the used game market. It eliminates the um, sharing market. You can't trade games with people. Um, so there, are, you know, it's a choice people can make if they're comfortable with that. Some people don't want the physical media, right? They just want to have it all downloaded on a box and they want to use it like that. And if they're done with the game, they'll just uh, deinstall it. But that's not really, I think, I don't know if I'm there yet. So. And is it is it going to be requiring an online account for all this stuff? Uh, I think it'll be just like the PS4. I think to get the most out of your games, um, you probably will want an online subscription, but it depends on the type of gamer you are. I tend to play a lot of games that are sort of, you know, go on an adventure game, uh, Uncharted, uh, God of War, um, you know, Star Wars games and stuff like that. Uh, Spider-Man was really good. Uh, stuff that were, you know, the online experience doesn't really change. You can still download stuff from their store. So expansion levels or new characters, all, you can get access to that stuff, whether you have a subscription to, to uh, PS Plus or whatever. Um, but if you want to play the online, you know, if you're into the Call of Duties, if you're into, um, you know, the online mass more playing, you know, lots of people playing simultaneously um, mm-hmm. that you have to pay for. Uh, but that's not the way I game. So for me, it's no, right. no big issue. But for a lot of people, it will be. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't turned my PlayStation on in around a year. So so you're not ordering the PS5 right away then? I'm not ordering the PS5, no. All right. No. Well, I mean, I, I thought about it. I looked at it and kind of did the research on it when you mentioned last week. But yeah, that's about as far as I got. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. I mean, uh, I was on Twitter today sort of trying to suss out what the status of things were. And it's really funny, too, because uh, so many people were online today saying, man, I went online this morning and I can't get my PS5. I'm like, pre-orders went up on September the 15th. Yeah. You yeah. know, one person had me in stitches. They were like, uh, to anybody out there who got their PS5 today, I will pay up to $80 more than the list price for it. 80 and They're listing it for like a thousand. Cool, a cool yeah. 80 bucks. A cool 80 four bucks. of these crisp 20s <laughs> just burning a hole in my pocket. So what the heck? I'll, I'll splurge a little bit. I just myself. thought that was the most random monetary figure. And then again, yeah, if you look on like any, you know, name a source of purchasing eBay, whatever else, yeah. everybody's yeah, like, yeah, Amazon. if you want one of the ones with the opticals, it's probably a grand at least. I mean, it's with tax in it's $700 Canadian. It's yeah. not nothing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. people up here are asking for, yeah, easily a thousand bucks. This guy was like, I will pay 80 bucks. I'm like, I don't know how he came up with the figure of 80 bucks. I was like, that's like going to clear out his savings account. But this guy <laughs> got was... an advance from uh, from his parents for four weeks allowance in advance. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's a really weird number. It's not an extra hundred, which, you know, I could see like, all right, it's like a very strange specific number. Yeah. Yeah. It really, like, I almost wanted to tweet out and be like, why 80? <laughs> like, I, I wanted to pretend I had a system for sale just to be like, will you go up? Will, will you do like 85? Like, what's, yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's like, your, bro, what's your you number? So yeah. close with $5 more, it would have been yours. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, bro. I just sold mine for 86 over asking. <laughs> I'll report back next week with uh, if it finally arrives, how how it goes. We did get our games today. So we got the new uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales game, um, which I am dying to play because I loved that Spider-Man game for PS4. So maybe that'll be my my thing for next week if this thing shows. 
Do you have the disc for the Spider-Man Four for PS4? Yes. You know anybody who'd like to play it? No. <laughs> I do have. I do have an optical drive in my PS4. Mm-hmm. I happen to have some media for that. So yeah. yeah, it was Xavier last because I got one of my Macs plugged into the the, the port that says PS4 on my on my TV, mm. and it's actually it's actually an HDMI you know monitor for my special Macintosh. Mm. As Jaime knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, all right. What do you got for us, Jaime? Mine is not so much a watch list, except maybe maybe you should rewatch the movie and then read this or maybe read this i've already seen it like six times i think i know the plot (laughs) yeah but like reading this reddit analysis is is actually really good so the premise of this analysis is that the uh the predator the the you know the character in the title is a dark shadow about the evil of killing in war and if i just read the the titles of the sections here about uh and remember this is about predator right the 1987 uh one with arnold schwarzenegger so knights in a haunted forest you have to invite the vampire in the predator as the shadow confronting the shadow and making the final choice um it all lines up pretty well uh, i think this is pretty well thought out as to uh how you might do a literary you know literary analysis of uh, of the movie and it, it actually seems to hold up pretty well as far as i can remember hmm. so it's basically the idea of like as depending on your relationship to killing and how you feel and act upon it is how you meet your end or don't meet your end because of the predator so instead of looking at it as a sci-fi movie looking at it as almost like a like a ghost story movie hmm. so yeah i guess it falls more in line with those like uh, friday the 13th kind of things right like if you're moral you might have a chance if you sin you do not yeah yeah like as a, a perfect one is the the lady in the film who has no sin because she has not killed anyone right she doesn't she doesn't fight at all the predator completely ignores her and, and kills all, all the other uh commandos marine type folks or it could be that he's a sport hunter and he likes a challenge yeah they 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 definitely do play into that in predator 2 um i'd say this is worth a read especially if you take the main character of uh, of dutch played by arnold schwarzenegger and then see how that how that works with the through line so uh with all of these different kinds of literary analysis uh, i don't know how this matches up to what the creators intended but it is a pretty interesting read so i, I recommend it it's it's not too long it's a reddit post it's longer as far as reddit posts go but it's it's not unreasonable all righty then well i guess that's it for another week so hey jonathan people want to get touch with you where will they find you uh, you can find me on twitter and instagram is at jpk news right and hi me if we people want to get in touch with you i'm on twitter as at dev with the hair right and my name is tim mitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine is where you'll find me so until next time we'll say bye-bye bye bye live long and prosper You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show. Right. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
<laughs> that could happen. <laughs> I need to prosper now because I have to pay for my PlayStation. Yes, that's true. You do. Yes, you do. Well, you know, of all years to buy a new game system, this seemed like the right one. Well, I'm here. We're headed yeah, towards yeah, another it, lockdown. It also seems like a also seems like a good good year to be like joining one of those mass mass player things where you can all run around and hug and stuff. Yeah, and really. Hands and, yeah, ooh. sad but true. Mm-hmm. Only social social gathering you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so Jaime, I don't know if you saw my comment the other day on Slack about the the end of the Notre Dame game, yeah, where the entire stands filled onto the onto the field. Apparently, every single one of those people have to go get tested for COVID now. Well, yeah, there wasn't enough field to contain all the people. <laughs> yeah, and that was a—I mean, not to, in any way to defend their behavior, but that was like one of the biggest upsets in football in the last college football in the last yeah, know, it was what, like a, twenty they, years. Those guys had not not lost a game in how many four years? Four years? Four years? Auburn, yeah, craziness. How about them fighting Irish, eh? I think the Irish would be smarter than that. They'd be drunk, but they'd be smarter than that. Can we just, you know, I was trying to, because we all tuned in to watch SNL last week, and I had to try and explain to my son why the team's name was the Fighting Irish, and he was like, that doesn't seem okay. I'm like, yeah, it's not. I don't, I can't defend that. Oh, the whole Irish fighting Irish? bad racial stereotype. Uh, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? If If we get rid of, if we get rid of all the sort of stereotypically bad names for sports teams we'll end up with leafs uh no wildcats everybody's the wildcats well no the wildcats that's stereotypical like that's that's like putting you know slanderous the cats cougars and stuff like you know giving them a bad name some cougars are (laughs) are nice you know vegetarian you know rabbit loving well that that team can be called the happy cats the happy cats the house cats the house cats well house cats can be pretty nasty too have you not have you ever (laughs) never seen a cat up on your desk well you're supposed to be nasty it's supposed to be a sports team name if i just push it off yeah well you no, know, i know exactly i know what you mean yeah you're right well they could be called the celtics yeah i feel like that's better although i which I'm is actually little... celtics but never mind yeah their logo is a little mildly upsetting at the, that's the, Irish, the little leprechaun guy or whatever. yeah yeah i don't know For, let's let's deal with the big ones first we we got rid of the washington football club's name that's a good one there's yeah. some other ones that are pretty upsetting that need to go first. Cleveland? But eventually, yeah. Uh, and Atlanta baseball. Um, yeah. We have to, you know, maybe eventually work towards not, you know, uh, vilifying the Irish as um, uh, pugilistic when inebriated. Yeah. yeah. As someone with perhaps a smidge of Irish blood. I have a quarter Irish. Do you? I am. My grandmother was a Williams, just like your cousin. Mm. Who knows? We might be related. No one knows Irish. Well, that would be a <laughs> that'd be a thing. Uh huh. You missed that one. I mean, I never used mind. to. <laughs> I used to work with a guy whose uh, his last name was the same last name as my um, Henson maternal great grandmother, Robson. Oh, Robson. Oh, really? Okay. And I wondered hmm, if I traced mm-hmm. that out. But then anything with a son is always a bit of a mixed bag because that just means that that they were named after someone's son. And, you know, what does Lopez mean, by the way? I think it is related to Wolf, if I'm not mistaken. It's got the same root word as as Lupin. I guess Lupus is kind of the same thing, too. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. All right. That's pretty badass. It's far better than small cow. And junior means son of too, by the way. It does. <laughs> so you're son of a son of a wolf. He's son of son of Jaime. 
Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know why people did Junior and not just like the, the numerals. Like you would have like King Louis the Thirteenth. Third. Well, um, like I understand July. that particular choice that I made there was you know uh, they don't necessarily have to have been related because of the way yeah. that, that royal names work. But you know, going along those same lines, it's like we don't have a word for the third other than the number. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not like you know you know thrice or thrunier or some other three. Yeah sounding thing is three four five yeah. so i went to a private school when i was uh you know, in 13 14 or 12 and 13 and they had a tradition where you were called by your last name like you weren't called i would be called mitra i would be called tim right even by the teachers mm-hmm. and um that's that's where i got the esquire because my dad would have been you know mitra esquire and i would have been just mitra right but if there was like uh if there was a brother there would be there would be major and minor right so uh and if there was four brothers it would be um, maximus major minor and minimus like i guess the latin the latin right and that's how they and then we, there was one guy who was i don't know if you've ever heard of harry oaks or harry oaks he was a guy in the bahamas or bermuda that got murdered at one point i went to school with sir harry oaks the third hmm. or harry oaks the third i guess and he would have been sir he's probably sir harry oaks now because because that kind of uh, lordship um goes to the yeah it's hereditary eldest son. yeah eldest son hmm. yeah there you go interesting yeah anyway that 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 kind of sort of answers I mean, it doesn't answer Jaime's question, I guess. I don't know, but I don't know. Junior, whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a little grim out there. Yep. I wonder if they are going to... I don't know if it's time to stock up on toilet paper again. <sighs> well, we're still having trouble finding distilled water. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were saying the challenge. Yeah, well, Carol was saying, yeah, so... Mm-hmm. You're going to have to start distilling it yourself. Yeah. yeah what, sure. what exactly does one have to do to distill water? Uh, it's just like making the alcohol. You boil it and run it through a tube and collect the... Yeah, boil and recapture on the other side it's, so you can get all the particulates yeah, takes, out. Yeah, it takes all the chemical or the minerals and whatever out of the water. I, I don't mean to impugn your... Uh, uh, balance here but doesn't that seem within your wheelhouse couldn't you build a still yeah i could yeah you totally could i thought about that actually i mean you run a little water through it maybe set up a little mash tent and make your own uh, homemade brew you know mm-hmm. my own homemade water yeah, yeah a little special water <laughs> for special occasions yes exactly seems like a good idea and actually throw some potatoes in there while i'm at yeah, it right? I, you know it was a science <laughs> experiment you were just trying to see what mm-hmm. would happen if you put potatoes in your water distiller right i'm just typing in to google here how to distill water <laughs> <laughs> At home. Might have to do Fast that. Fast forward three point. days to my mother saying, I can't believe you talked him into building a damn still in our house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What could go wrong? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't the, uh, does the doesn't the still explode on mash at one point? Yeah, it could. Yeah, maybe build it in the back shed. Yeah, maybe. No, actually, they're showing how to do it with a big, with a big pot and a bowl. Look at that. Ooh, seems easy. You don't need to like have the the, the wire coil, you know. But it looks cool. Huh? But it looks cool. Yeah. Well, this this first way is just you have a big pot with a with a, a rack so that the the bowl doesn't sit on the bottom. You fill fill the pot up with water. You put a bowl in, and you put a screen over top, and then you boil the water. And as it cools. You put ice on top of it to cool it, and as the uh, as it cools, it falls back into the bowl, and then you just take the bowl out and get water. See, I saved you a trip to the shopper's drug mart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting. That's the first way. Second way is actually the sort of more physicsy way of doing it. Well, that's usually way more fun. Mm. Yeah, where you boil it and you catch the vapor. That looks pretty simple. <laughs> that doesn't sound at all like famous last words. <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly simple. Oh, the other way is just let it sit for two days and catch rainwater outside and just let it sit for. 
couple of days. Yeah, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, oh, Canada. That's what I'm looking for. Rain, oh. Rainwater is not a thing anymore. Yeah, but we have snow. You can melt snow, right? But I thought you were supposed to catch the rainwater. Well, you can catch snow. Rain, snow is is rain that's frozen. What? This is the first I'm hearing yeah. of it. <laughs> it is. Why do you think the dog likes to go outside and eat eat the snow? Uh, he likes cold water. <laughs> he's, 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 he's a, he's a <laughs> and he's an idiot. That's, that goes without saying. Yeah, my dog, the idiot. He's a very special boy. Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah, this totally looks doable. But I mean, I mean, you, you don't drink distilled water. It's pretty much. I mean, I've never really thought about drinking it, but you know. All right, but I think it's all gone wrong when you start making your own home toilet paper. That's true. That's true. I don't know what's happening in our neighborhood, but all the birch trees have gone on owl. owl pulling all the birch bark off and <laughs> using it for toilet paper oh hardy har har <laughs> hey i was a boy scout yeah you learn to make do yep for sure all right folks i think i'm gonna watch an episode of uh umbrella academy okay sorry pack it in sounds like a plan for the evening and we've been recording for two hours so there you go there you go all right folks all right talk to you later talk next week guys talk to you later bye. Bye. bye without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done